Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Good evening and welcome to the History of Germany podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Steve Guerra from the History of the Papacy podcast. That's right. Today is a special episode because I have a uh, guest co-host, or rather, uh, we're both guest co-hosting each other's shows because uh, this will also be on the History of the Papacy uh, feed. And the reason we got together today is because we have to cover some common ground here, and that is basically the conversion of Germans from their Germanic paganism, which I spoke of on the last episode, to Christianity. And that did not happen overnight. That did not happen um, even, even under, you know, that did not happen to the same brand of Christianity, let's say. And um, it becomes central to many aspects of the future of the history of Germany. So it really makes sense to pause and slow down and take stock again and really take a look at how this happened and how Germans uh, converted some of them really quickly, some certain tribes, and very early, actually, at the same time as, as many of the Roman citizens were converting. And so let's, let's take a look at how that happened. And the earliest conversion, let's say, and what also gives us a great example of converting to Christianity among the Germans is a goth known as Ulfilas. And um, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Steve take it away on who he was and why he's actually pretty important to the history of Germany. Wolfilas or Wolfilas or Orphilas, um, commonly known as Wolfilas. That's one, the one name I use the most. We can go with that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was a goth, possibly a goth. His background story is a little interesting. He was born in the early 300s, 311-ish. But his parents, that's the trickier part of the story. During, right. the late, during the late 200s, bands of Goths were going into the Roman Empire and raiding and taking slaves back to the northern part of the, just outside of the Roman Empire, around the Black Sea area. Now, Wolfalos possibly was a half Greek, half Goth. Uh, the thinking is that his parents were actually taken from the eastern part of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And so he was maybe a second-generation Greek or half-Greek, half-Goth. Half yeah, it's not, it's not sure. Yeah. yeah. But um, so when he was growing up in this um, northern area the Greeks really held on to their Greek identity and they, they were Christians. Um, he had some form of Christianity, but at this point too, the Goths were integrating more with the Roman empire. Right. And he went back into the empire and became a disciple or a follower of a really important bishop named Eusebius of Nicomedia 
there was like 50,000 Eusebiuses at that time. Uh-huh. This is different than Eusebius of Caesarea, who wrote a really famous church history. Okay. He was a big time Aryan Christian, Eusebius of Nicomedia. Uh, We should probably. Oh yeah, I was was just going to say, and and uh, let's be careful here because I think most people know. I you know I I always think that my listeners or I always expect them to be pretty bright and know these things, but um, just because we are talking also history of Germany, uh, we're talking about Aryan Christianity here, as in Aryanism. Like nothing to do with the Arianism of Hitler, but like no connection at all, nothing historically completely different things. One is from the teachings of Arius of Alexandria, and has nothing to do with Nietzsche's Superman or or some you know <laughs> neo or Nazi idea of of anything. Um, and this is actually what what takes them apart is. Basically, Arians believed in, and there are some sects of Christianity today that still believe this, by the way. I think it should be pointed mm-hmm. out. It's kind of interesting. Um, but they don't really believe in the Trinity, like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but rather that God is above all, all and um, you know, Jesus is actually created. He is the son of God, granted, but he is lesser than. And and we'll, you know, we'll break this down when we actually get to to uh, Wolfilas's views a little bit, but but yeah, just to <laughs> define Arianism, that we're talking about Arian Christianity as in Arius of Alexandria, and not some kooky Nazi concept of yeah, you know, exactly. Nordic Arians, and you know the, the other one doesn't even make any historic sense. And um, I will break that other one down when I get to the Nazis eventually, which you know might at this rate it'll take me like a decade to get there. Um, but yeah, just just so it's clear that we're not talking about that. We're talking about Arius of Alexandria and Wolfilas being an Arian Christian. <laughs> and Wolfilas, um, just to get that out there too, uh, it's thought to be a Gothic word for little wolf, which is interesting. Right. I never read anything anywhere if that had any significance or if that was just his name. It's yeah. a cool name at least. Um, yeah, it sounds like kind of a barbarian gothic name. Ex- yeah, little come here, little wolf. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So th- these Greeks um, who lived north of the empire, they kind of went back and forth between the mm-hmm. Roman Empire and the Gothic lands. I think that was another thing when I was doing research for this. I didn't really before understand how porous that border was and how integrated the two societies yeah. were. Yeah, even even just thinking about that. Uh, Wolfilas grew up, you know, learning Latin and Greek and Gothic, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's that's great. I mean, just bilingual like that. And so obviously, um, yeah, there must have been some kind of communication back and forth. And, and yeah, it is interesting, actually. So it's not it's not the Roman Empire. And then across the Danube are these, you know, horrible barbarians that will kill you and murder you on sight. Uh, and, like, and like, I mean, obviously and... they did do border raids and, you know, captured slaves and um, there was that going on. But there was also a lot of trade and commerce and mm-hmm. uh, Gothic mercenaries. And uh, yeah, the, I mean, the whole nine yards. It was a very porous border, like you said, I think. And Wolfilas, I think, is most important thing that I think of him is that he was the at just a perfect time. The Goths were really... They were absorbing a lot of Roman culture, and Christianity at that point was really the next step right. of becoming more Romanized. And so 
them becoming the Goths, becoming Aryan Christians was a series of events that was just a perfect time at a perfect place. And it would have a huge impact for really centuries later. And it's just because of this certain set of circumstances and a very narrow window of time. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, especially Wolfilos and the Goths conversion is interesting because, um, yeah, it, it happened so early. It's almost, you know, it's uh, not all of the Romans were Christianized yet. It wasn't there mm-hmm. was, there, you know, it was still living memory of of persecution or there would even be persecutions yet to come, uh, I guess. Another thing that's important to, to mention is because this is happening so early in church history that the Roman Empire wasn't solid, solidly one church with, you know, as we know of them later, as a solid pope in Rome, and it's always been like that. This was so early that there was a bishop in Rome, um, but there was also a bishop in uh, in Constantinople and a bishop in Alexandria, and there was a fourth one, wasn't there? In Antioch, in Antioch. and there was one in Jerusalem. So the, the, those are the five main? I thought there was like four. But yeah, I guess it depends on, on what time in history, too. But yeah, th- th- so, you know, this there wasn't a, a pope leader. Um, but yeah, we have Antioch and Jerusalem, and those bishops are kind of equals, I guess. And so you can't say like, when we say Orthodox or Catholic Church, at this point, it's interchangeable. It, there, mm-hmm. This is before the schism. Catholic is the Latin word for universal. Orthodox is the Greek word for universal. And at this point, um, but what we are saying probably is that they were a Trinitarian Christians like they, they already believed in the the Father Son and the Holy Spirit all being aspects of God and all equal the same exactly there was generically a and generally a divide between the Latin West and the Greek East oh right. that was a political yeah. and a religious break that was happening and obviously that split would have a lot of different aspects to it and history as we go along but that's something to kind of keep in mind and that these goths were more so in the eastern sphere at -hmm. this point than they were in the western sphere even though they're going to have a really big impact in the western sphere very soon yep that's true their brand of christianity was more eastern yeah and the religious differences um within the roman empire like within with the greek east and the latin west um, at this point, yeah, the re- religious differences, um, but yeah, the, the, the bishops fighting for power, it's kind of more of a political thing and the mm-hmm. religious differences were there, but not regarding the, the Trinity necessarily. There was a no. lot of other points that would then, you know, later be brought up in the councils of Nicaea. Um, but liturgically and, um, right. language use. And that was something that was happening all throughout the empire in various, various different ways that there was really a eastern part forming and a western part of the empire forming that were definitely were in a mode that they're separating and um for the arians or or wolfilas in fact wolfilas himself because he was also a, a priest and he had something to say um and so we can actually get a glimpse of you know his own teachings of arianism and what he believed and it's and i I, th- I thought there were some interesting points in there kind of because He's a goth. 
Um, but basically, his version is that God the Father was unbegotten, like he's mm-hmm. not created. Jesus was the only begotten God. So, really high regard, however, less important than God, who was just yes. always there, you know. Um, and then the other thing that, because the Holy Spirit is even honestly a little tricky for me, like theologically or philosophically, to figure out exactly what's going on there. Um, but Old, Old Philos also acknowledged the Holy Spirit because it's, you know, it's in scripture. Um, but uh, he, you know, he kind of says it's, it's neither God nor Lord master. It's not something that, that you would worship as part of God. It's just, it's, it's a thing that exists. Yes. But it's just an aspect of, of God or something that God does. Um, so yeah, again, no. not, not in any way equal to, to God or, or, you know, the son, Jesus, and the theology of the Holy Spirit really won't even be completely figured out until a council at the yeah. end of the 300s. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. To kind of get that down and, and pin down the definition of what the Holy Spirit is and the ramifications of, of the meaning. Um, yeah, that would that would take a while. Um, but yeah, I, I, what I thought was interesting, and this is, uh, I have a, I have a, is it a quote from, no, it's, it's, um, something from Ophilas, but, um, I was just kind of wondering is, did they maybe grasp Arianism because they were just closer to a part where that happened to be spreading? Was it just happenstance or did Goths gravitate toward Arianism because it was a starker version of monotheism and because they're, but you know, uh, Romans were pagans as well, but I was just kind of wondering, like, is there maybe is there any reason why uh, pagans would go to one rather than the other? Um, and and I don't really know, but Wolfilas was very adamant on there being, you know, being monotheistic, there being one God, and um, part of part of that makes me think that okay, so that's why he gravitated toward Arianism, and um, you know, maybe to to shed his pagan roots as much as he can. Uh, but who knows? That's just, you know, kind of a, a thought that I, that I had. I but, think uh, there's a couple of things going on with that. I think the, there's a very good chance that the, that the Greeks who he was descended from right. had a more Aryan worldview or a, uh, yeah. subordinationist worldview. So the worldview. Christians that he knew just happened to be Aryans and, uh, he never even necessarily heard the other viewpoint until he was already done and converted and, you know, exactly. had opinions of his own. Right. And, yeah. um, and having been a student of Eusebius of Nicomedia, who was the big time Aryan or subordinationist, that was a, that was a huge part of it too. So I think that Given yeah, okay. everything, it led up to him being very starkly Aryan. And I think, like you said, there may be some aspects of goth culture that kind of lended themselves towards having a more, that stark difference that there's God yeah. the Father, yeah. boom. Maybe Romans needed that transition. <laughs> you know, they said, well, you know, the Pantheon, they had, there's fathers and sons, and this is all normal. So why wouldn't there be a trinity? I, you know, who knows? The uh, Even w- Germans and Romans tried, tried very hard to um, smooth the conversion in many, many ways. And often in, in slightly different ways. So it's just, you know, a thought I thought that kind of popped up is like, hey, I wonder if uh, there was a theological reason or if it just happens to be the the missionaries he ran into. But, um, yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely something to think about. Yeah. 
Um, so we did, I, I know in, in your pa- podcast, you talk about the Council of Nicaea. Um, I guess it's also, it must also be uh, in Gary Stevens' podcast. I've only heard a few episodes of his, but but I really liked it. Um, so I don't want to cover the whole Council of Nicaea here, or the Councils of Nicaea, but this was one of the major sticking points of the first Council of Nicaea, was the whole, you know, what is the nature of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit? So, um, so in yeah, really it, it broad strokes, yeah, in really broad strokes, Arianism wasn't, it just wasn't that popular as far as um, what the thought was at that time. There just weren't that many of them. And so that put them in a weaker position going into a council where Constantine wanted to come out of the council with one viewpoint, even though Constantine himself, in his own personal opinions, went towards more of an Aryan belief system. And that's going to set where we go with Goths for the whole rest of the um, fourth century is that the emperors and the sons of Constantine are going to be leaning more in an Aryan Mm -hmm. position, even though the Orthodox Catholic is going to be the official position of the mainstream Roman church. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But that is interesting too. That, that, that does kind of have an impact on, on history and events. So, um, another thing that's interesting to point out is, Oh, I, I did found one, or, or I don't know if you wrote this or if I wrote this, but um, that possibly, and I can't remember whose idea this was or where this came from, but um, Goths might be predisposed to Arianism because it, it's more, um, God is kind of, could be more seen like as, uh, or maybe Goths liked aspects of the Old Testament God better, you know, warlike mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, out, going out conquering and um, securing the Holy Lands, that kind of thing. And... Um, chiefs the germanic chiefs or gothic chiefs might have associated with that all-powerful unity uh, you know unitary god more that's one thing i came across another one is that interesting to it's inter- or important to point out is that while wolfilas was arian not all goths were mm-hmm. so in this uh, so there were some that were catholic or you know slash orthodox whatever um or trinitarian i wrote down somewhere the <laughs> the uh, technical term it's like Homo sud, what is it? Homo oiseus. There's yeah. a several different. I don't I even know where I wrote that down, but yeah. Arianism was one one type of uh, subordinationist, where Jesus and the Holy Spirit were subordinate to God the Father, and so they they all had slightly different beliefs, mm-hmm. and there was one belief that. Um, Ulfilas may or may not have had that Jesus was kind of like God the Father. He wasn't exactly like him, but uh, kind of. Yeah. And then there was another strain of it that was Jesus was completely created and completely lesser than God the Father. That's the more radical view of it. Yeah, in the, in yeah. the spectrum of things, right. Yeah. And so that's a, that was another reason why Arianism had a hard time, especially in pl- things like the councils where it was a consensus building and a voting. When you have one position has about five or six different opinions going against a majority group that has basically one opinion, they had a hard time getting any traction. Mm-hmm. There was just a there was a big diversity of opinion amongst the subordinationists, 
and they were going up against a group that had a, a tighter viewpoint. Yeah, yeah. I, which makes sense because one one set of beliefs lends itself to the whole spectrum of well, if Jesus isn't equal, then what is he? You know, mm-hmm. and the and the answer are basically infinite. Um, from from he was a mere mortal to oh he was like ninety nine percent god yeah <laughs> and whereas yeah the trinitary church could just say uh, well you know he's equal and done it's you know we've answered this question next so they yeah. blow apart in about a hundred years from there um, mm-hmm. where they have their own set of opinions that diverges into an infinite spectrum basically but at this point they were able to keep more together because they were going up against something that was starkly different. At this point, you have right. two really starkly different right. viewpoints. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, much later in history, you see Protestant churches splitting up over exactly. um, yeah. how often to take communion, you know, mm-hmm. because the Bible just says do it regularly. So, yeah, ouch. Yep. Uh, yeah, as soon as you get a, yeah, if, if it's something's hard to define, then, you know, it's, that might, that could create problems. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it did create problems. This, this was a whole part of the Aryan controversy. Wolfilas was, you know, right there in the middle. Goths living so close to otherwise Orthodox or Catholics, basically, um, mm-hmm. created, you know, added to the controversy. And, um, so yeah, that's just so, something something interesting to note that um, that the Goths were kind of in opposition or kind of contrasting those around them, and um, if we put this in the broader context, um, among the Germans, so Goths were Aryans, but some of the later converts then really came from, or even uh, not just the Roman Empire, but even uh, from Anglo-Saxon uh, mm-hmm. missionaries would come back to the the Germanic tribes on the continent. And that's interesting. But then that brand of Christianity, because that happened centuries later, then it was just uh, pretty much straight up Catholicism. And if the missionaries happened to come from the East later up, you know, through the Slavic lands, then it was just Orthodox. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so in, in this time, so later, um, I I don't know how much to talk about this on this episode because I'm, I'm going to bring them up more thoroughly again later. But uh, the Franks, for instance, were converted to Catholicism. And, uh, you know, like St. Boniface is a great story because he's, you know, an Anglo-Saxon missionary that comes down into, you know, the continental uh, Fr- Frankish empire, basically, and starts preaching. And then later we have the Saxon conversion by the Franks in turn. Um, and there's, you know, wars fought and that, that's a whole other interesting story, which I'll get to in future episodes. So I don't want to, um, spend too much time on it, but I just want to make sure that because we're spending most time on this episode talking about Goths and Aryan Christians, that we don't, you know, generalize too much and say, okay, so that was the Germanic tribes, Germanic tribes were, Germanic tribes were Aryan, uh, Aryan Christians, um, that that's totally not true. So, in mm-hmm. fact, the Germanic tribes that we today associate with parts of Germany, let's say, or is more you know more recent memory instead of uh, Visigoths and Ostrogoths and and Longobards and all those, um, we do have like the Franks and Saxons and Frisians and all of those. Those were much later, and those were Catholic. Yeah. So, um, yeah, interesting. Just kind of important to note. But so let's get back to Ulfilas because I'm kind of getting ahead in the timeline even. Um, There's a couple of interesting things that we should mention uh, with, you know, in Gothic, in Gothic time frame and and even back to Ulfilas. So with Wolfilas is coming from that 
Eastern tradition. In the East at this point, it was there was more of a focus on translating into the native languages of the people outside of the empire who they were trying to proselytize to. Where in the West, it was more of a Latin focus. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. The East being maybe more cosmopolitan, you had Copts and a lot of different groups who yeah. were becoming Christians. And so it was, it was probably a lot easier to translate. But so Wolfilos... Wolfalos created a Gothic alphabet kind of based on Greek and modifying it as necessary to meet the needs of the Gothic language. And he, in fact, he eventually became a bishop to the Goths. That was another thing outside of the Roman Empire. Amongst groups, they would have bishops to an entire ethnicity, maybe you might say, instead of Wolfalos wasn't the bishop of a city as such, he was a bishop to a people, mm-hmm. being that there were, probably wasn't, a, in the Roman sense, a real city for him to be a bishop of. That's a good point. Yep, yep. At least by, by were, Roman standards. There were villages, yeah. But I actually, I talked about a lot of these kind of aspects in the last episode when I was talking about... Um, the Gothic or Germanic paganism is that villages didn't happen until much later when, when they start to kind of uh, settle down and emulate Romans, not, not to say settle down. They weren't nomadic, but, but they didn't live in villages either. They kind of had farmsteads. So yeah, you couldn't be a village, a, a Bishop of, you know, city name, insert city name here because there were no cities. Um, and the other thing that's interesting that you just mentioned is he created the alphabet. Mm-hmm. That is both, uh, horribly interesting in history. I, I love alphabets and that, you know, the history of alphabets and that kind of thing. Um, but also unfortunate because the Goths had just started to kind of figure out runes and just potentially, uh, potentially write down their pagan history. But that didn't happen really because they converted so quickly. They, mm-hmm. you know, right around the time when they're um, getting into runes, Ulfilas comes along with the alphabet, and that's that. And then from then on, it becomes uh, Christian history and Christian writings, and they, they they try to shed their pagan past. So, uh, you know, kind of a, when I was researching the Germanic paganism, I was actually a little mad at Ulfilas, even though I think his alphabet's pretty cool, you know? So. Yeah, and I think from your, your last episode made me think a lot that they were not nomadic people in any sense of the word they were really right. forced to move on that's a misconception later on in history right yep yep exactly and so they had a lot of civilization structures in place but... yeah by this time they did have villages for sure yeah and um, i had read so... someplace that um they archaeologists have found villas and roman type buildings right on the other side that were a little bit different they were emulating mm-hmm. that Roman culture and that Roman structure. Yeah. But so back to Wolfilas again, back to Wolfilas. Yeah. He this um he created this Gothic alphabet and then he wrote a translated version of the Bible, which is interesting. He actually cut out a few pieces of the Old Testament again that he thought were maybe a little bit too warlike. Again, that might be yeah, okay. that might be a little um, 
another thing that in later times that they brought in there, the Bible as such was still kind of a floating thing at that point. And so books were coming in and out. So that could be a possibility. That's a little bit less fun of an idea than mm-hmm. that he cut things out that were too warlike. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, interesting thought, though. Yeah. Huh. So he... um. He wound up, he ran in afoul of one of the chieftains, gothic chieftains. And so he basically picked up his whole Christian flock from north of the border and wound up settling in modern-day Bulgaria in the city of Nicopolis at Istrum. And he lived out his life from there. He engaged to some degree in some of the debates that were going on, but I think most of his the rest of his life was really built on getting these goths Christianized and building up his particular flock. Yeah. And another um, kind of interesting thing that you can actually go and look up is that his alphabet um, was, is not at all the same as like the Gothic font that you think of today necessarily. It is um, more based off of Greek and uh, that sort of thing. But we do have, we do have extant, um, kind of sources or, or pieces of that. And if you want to go Google this or look it up, um, I might, I'll probably put a picture of it up on uh, the history of Germany podcast.com and uh, probably on the, you know, A to Z history somewhere, but, mm-hmm. or on fa- you know, we'll Facebook it if not, but the Codex Argentius, which is in Uppsala in Sweden these days and has been since the 30 years war actually, which means I kind of think I know where it was before. Um, but a parchment page of this Bible was found in 1971 in the Speyer Cathedral. And so you could actually, uh, you can go online and take a look at that original, you know, Wolfie Loss's Gothic alphabet and see what that looked like. That it is, that, I think that's pretty cool. And then I um, found some more stuff on liturgy and mass. Well, I didn't find anything, but it was an interesting um it was interesting looking that up because they're really the Goths used an Eastern, more Greek flavored liturgy, or at least that's what they think. But uh, there's clues. I think that's a big part with a lot of Gothic history in general. You have to just find clues of what might have happened. Mm -hmm. So much, much later, the Goths who settled in Spain used a really particular mass and they think that that mass that they used had elements of it that went all the way back to maybe original Gothic features of the liturgy. Yeah, and I just, okay. and throughout time and for a lot of different reasons in the West, one mass kind of took over. And I think to some degree, it's the mass that's with revisions is used today. So it mm-hmm. kind of homogenized in the West and that all went away. But it actually stayed in Spain a little bit longer, even because of the Islamic conquest. They right. were okay. The Christians, yeah. the Christians in the Islamic parts, were kind of doing their own thing. Exactly. Yep. That makes for sense. a lot longer. And then the Christians who didn't get um, conquered or whatever you want to call it by the um, by Islam they more integrated in with what was happening in the rest of the Latin West and just mm-hmm. something interesting. I'm sure that yeah, will come up yeah. at some point yeah. either in either one of our podcasts. Well, on, on a similar note, and this is something that I, I still really need to do some research into is um, I'll bring it up again, 
by you know when the the last time I talk about the Goths, I will also bring up the Crimean Goths. Mm-hmm. But I think religiously they've kind of dropped everything. But that but the thing is that, that people don't really know because they were basically gone by the 1900s or uh, gone by World War II, let's say for sure. And they were kind of marginalized and but but they still had a gothic branch of Germanic language that was still spoken and all kind of, you know, well into the 18th century. And I, so that kind of makes me wonder. That made me wonder, too, is it, I wonder if they if their mass looked any different or if they just went to the local uh, Ukrainian churches or but they had their own communities. So, yeah, but unfortunately, we just not a lot is known about them even. So I um, think that's just a theme with the Goths in general. A lot of they became marginalized either by their mm-hmm. own actions and uh, developing into the cultures they were with or because they were minorities in a much larger culture that also right. marginalized and pushed some of their unique views to the side. They definitely flavored the cultures they were in, but yep. they were yep. they were just such a small part of where they would eventually wind up. A lot of well, what that, they were uniquely got lost. Right. Uh, well, that's, that's another thing I have, I, I'm going to cover is um, the traces of Germanic, but especially if you talk Spain, like Gothic, and um, traces of of Germanic things still left over, like in, you know, the last name Rodriguez, or, mm-hmm. I mean, there's just hundreds of examples, but I'll actually go, you know, <laughs> look for those and kind of put them together. Uh, because I think if you do look... Uh, or if you know what to look for, they did make an impact just yeah. in, in, you know, dozens of small ways. So which are which are interesting, in, including like the, the mass you just mentioned, which may have you know lasted into the Middle Ages. Um, but but yeah, yeah it's, it's just all kinds of little little things. So I will have to come back to that and say, OK, this certain cultural thing of Spain. Well, it's actually Gothic or whatever. So, yeah, it's definitely um, one of those things. Yeah. Once you know what to look like, it's oh, yeah, that's definitely. Mm hmm. And then one other tiny thing aside that especially if you um, out there go and do a little bit of Googling or you want to find out more, the Gothic architecture of the 12s and 1300s, maybe as early as the 1100s, yeah. has really nothing to do with the Goths themselves. Right. That was a pejorative term mm-hmm. for a new type of architecture that was very different than earlier forms of architecture. Right. So, if, And like you said, Gothic script as well yeah. doesn't yeah. really have much to do with these Goths. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you say Gothic alphabet, I don't mean the font type if you, you know, like, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean like the, the actual alphabet, which is more like greek it might be more like um there's a bunch of those alphabets the uh you know like when cyril and methodius mm-hmm. came through bulgaria and created a, a slavic alphabet and then um which is what all the you know R- russian is based off of and and all of those modern alphabets but there was a lot of in between stages that people don't really think about um and those were often liturgical like uh, religious languages Mm -hmm. and used in even today it's interesting that i'm kind of getting sidetracked here but it is interesting um that if you go to a romanian orthodox uh, mass or wedding or baptism or whatever it's interesting that some of their liturgical words so romanian is a romance language it's one of the only it was for instance the only romance language that was under communism that was under the the um uh, Eastern Bloc 
but so that's kind of interesting. But their in their mass and their religious rites, the missionaries didn't come from Rome. They came from Constantinople. It was you know Cyril and Methodius came through their lands. And so there's some certain words are actually from Slavic, from Bulgaria, and not Latin in mm-hmm. their mass. Uh, when Romanian, it should be all from Latin because they're also a Romance language. So there's a lot of, when you get to the Orthodox branches of, uh, you know, like Bulgarian and Romanian Orthodox and Russian and Greek, then you see a lot more differences and, and a lot more of, you know, from a lot earlier age, everything was in the local language and... Um, that sort of thing. Very rit- ritualized, just like in the West, but a different sort of evolution. So, yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. Similar, to kind of but out. a little different. Yep. I think we have your next project lined up, the history of the Slavs. Oh, man. That's... You ready? <laughs> <laughs> that would be an interesting one. Yeah. Well, there's 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 Bohemian. Um, but yeah, there's so much that we don't talk about because it's not just Czech-specific. Um, oh yeah, there's there's all kinds of topics that that um, are more akin to like Pan Slavism or uh, Cyril Methodius coming up. You know, they, mm-hmm. that impacted you know a huge chunk of the globe actually. But because it's not Western Catholicism, we don't give it as much thought. And and uh, yeah, no, it's yeah. There's it's a lot of interesting sure. coming up for oh, sure. Yeah. So now we're starting to get into the next phase of germanization and the romans and the germans coming together and that next phase when we were moving beyond the goths the goths are still there don't worry about that but what we get to is a really important group of germans the franks they don't become arians they actually convert to orthodox catholic christianity and i think travis is going to speak much more to clovis in the history of the uh, germany so i'm i'm definitely looking forward to that this will have his own episode for sure probably as a way to kick off the franks um yeah yeah oh yeah there's a lot more coming there so that's really going to be the game changer that a really extremely powerful group of Germans is going to come in on the Catholic side as opposed to the Aryan Mm -hmm. side. And that's going to set the stage for this next couple of hundred years leading into Pope Gregory the Great in the late 500s, early 600s. He really, he bridged the gap between the Romans and the Germans, the barbarians, if you will. He was really a guy, too. He was steeped in Greek culture, too, but he didn't seem to really like it that much. I don't, he didn't seem to get along with the Greeks as much, even though he spent a lot of time in Constantinople. But when he came back and became the Pope of Rome, there was really this power balance between Constantinople and the West And Gregory started to form this new hybrid, Romanized, Germanized thing that was uh, he probably wanted to be as a power balance against Constantinople. Also, Gregory was really important to the re-Christianization of Britain by Christianizing the Anglo-Saxons who will go ahead and in turn go back into Germany proper and help to Christianize their Saxon brothers who still lived on the continent. Yeah. And they will also help Christianize the Vikings who will also have a big play in German, the country of Germany proper's 
future history. That's right. The Vikings will come back <laughs> to the history of Germany for sure. Um, oh, yeah. So that's, that's another interesting one. In fact, I mentioned in the last episode, um, I also had to talk about Vikings and North, Norse religion and Anglo-Saxons because there was just a lot more – because they were pagan for so much longer, there was a lot more written text um, the Norse actually wrote texts and runes instead of using runes like divination or, you know, carving them on lots. They would actually write with them and create um, poetry and all sorts of things like especially Iceland is known for this. Mm-hmm. And um, so because of that, we get a glimpse of the old world, which means, yeah, even when I was talking about Germans, I had to, you know, they didn't write much down. So I had to, um, you know, compare to much later conversions. Um, and the, so of course, yeah, so I talked about the Vikings a little bit last episode, they will come back in a, in a big way in the history of Germany when they start basically, you know, invading every village on every river that they can get to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And, and another interesting thing to note is that the missionaries didn't just go after, you know, people that spoke Latin or Greek or the Goths, the missionaries really kind of fanned out in, in every direction they could from from the Roman Empire and also just, you know, by themselves in the East. Um, and including missionaries went off to, to preach and evangelize to the Scythians and, and Persians and many other, you know, quote-unquote barbaric groups. So it just, just to kind of, you know, put that as a note, I would say that Goths weren't the only ones. Goths were, you know, in a part, in, in a context of larger uh, efforts to convert barbarians, I would say. That's it's just important to note. And the Goths, they didn't go away completely, but they were always there. But along with the other Germans, the Franks, when they came into the former Roman Empire in the West, there was they were a minority group that formed the aristocracy. So in a lot of the places where the Goths went, they formed the aristocracy and worked in conjunction with the Catholic bishops. So at this point, the Germans... For the most part, I guess the word you could say is they played nice mm-hmm. with the majority population who were Roman and Catholic. Yeah. They there were some persecutions, but for the most part, the theme wasn't that these Aryan Goths were trying to convert the mass of the population. It just it wasn't functionally feasible at that point. Mm-hmm. They were more as they were the overlords making sure that everything ran smoothly amongst the population. And yeah. one of those things and wasn't the, to tweak the noses of the population. Right. Well, the, the point you just brought up about, um, you know, um, you know, kind of Catholic Romans, maybe even uh, grasping toward uh, grasping for for Aryan Goths as a way to kind of form a, cr- a coalition against Byzantium. And mm-hmm. uh, you just mentioned that. That might also go the other way, that when these Goths came in and started conquering Catholic lands, that they also said, well, we better play nice with the locals because, you know, we still need allies against the mighty Byzantine Empire right yeah. next door. Um, so, yeah, that actually could have worked out for Aryans to just, you know, be as peaceful as possible with their surrounding Catholics and, and uh, harmonious as they could, which is not a picture you often would get if you think of a word like the Vandals or the Goths. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's exactly what happened. They, they actually tried to be peaceful and not upset. Um, it wasn't a revolution. It was just quietly, um, you know, 
filling the order that already existed with their as own as a people. successor state. Yep, exactly. Yep. And that kind of leads into a really where what was left of the Goths, and really there's very little actual um, artifacts of what the Goths. But one really cool one is in Ravenna in northern Italy. That was the that was the capital of really what of Italy at that point. Mm-hmm. There's a Gothic church, Gothic in the version of the Goths, not the later Gothic, right? Church of Saint Apollinaire. Nuovo, and there's some really interesting mosaics in there that um, are kind of hard to see. If you look up that church online, and maybe that's something we can also post some pictures, the mosaics show a very different iconography than what Trinitarian Christianity Christianity shows. Like, for example, they show Jesus as a young man, beardless, and then as the mosaics progress, they show him in more of an older light where he's um, maybe looks a little bit more worn down by by life, showing that Jesus is a creature. Right. And he's he ages. Showing, he's yeah, not immortal. Yeah. Showing his humanity uh-huh. of going from a young man to right before the crucifixion. And interesting, in some places I've read the mosaics are a little cruder than say other more um roman Uh mosaics uh they're just not as well done but it's it's really cool that that's uh that survived and now it's just a regular roman catholic church but there are there's a baptistry that has a lot of aryan elements to it as well so it's cool that there's just right under the surface a lot of really interesting things there yeah i'm just i'm just looking up the google google images of it and that is pretty cool yeah architecturally it's just a regular romance uh what is that style it's not you know not roman but romanesque i think yeah it's because it still has the the arches no longer a vault. It has a flat ceiling like you would then see in early medieval um, architecture, but it's clearly not Gothic, you know, Gothic architecture in yeah. any way. It's definitely trying their best to, to emulate. Yeah, there's a half half vault in the front with the mosaics. And They're that trying to emulate the, the Romans as much as they can. And that was the place where the Germanic Goths attended. And there was another church in Ravenna that the name escapes me right now. That was the main cathedral for the Catholics. And they each went to and did their own thing. Yeah. And somewhat of a harmony. Saint Apollinaire Nuovo. If you know, if you're listening to this right now and you happen to be in front of Google, just yeah, that's it's pretty cool. The the mosaics are pretty neat. And I think what, you know, a big thing that we've been saying, the Germans are kind of Germanizing the Romans at this point, and the Romans are Romanizing the Germans. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of back and forth going on. Um, There was major growth in papal authority at this point, which is going to have a lot. And in my podcast, the relationship between the Germans and the the papacy is going to be a big thing that's going on. Uh-huh. And um, at this point, like in the 500s, technically Byzantium is in control of the city of Rome, and therefore the Pope of Rome is under Byzantine control. Mm-hmm. But they're going to constantly be fighting to try and get under out from underneath that control and exercise their own power, which they think they rightfully have. 
Yeah. Um, so they're going to work with these Germans to kind of create their own power base and identity in contrast to the emperor and patriarch in Constantinople. You know, you kind of have a coalition going on there against this Byzantine Eastern yeah. successor to the Roman Empire. That's what I, I do think that's kind of an interesting way to put it. It's kind of a you know common ground a coalition against the byzantines who are kind of domineering uh the empire as a whole at this point that i think that's a good way to look at it um like you mentioned that yeah it is also in the history of germany in my own podcast i was watching some documentaries there's a series in german about um i don't remember if it was about saxons or germans or if i'm confusing several now but um you do see that you know every the big dynasty the Otto the Great um, or or Charlemagne, um, at some point they end up in Rome. You know, mm-hmm. at some point they're, they're either groveling for forgiveness or um, being, uh, you know, crowned emperor by the Pope. Or and, and and it's this relationship that eventually becomes known as the Holy Roman Empire. But it starts way before that, and, and it has you know it is a thing between German kings and catholic popes from day one inseparable you you can't really have one without the other and i think did you mention it in the history of germany or if you haven't i'm sure it's coming up the house of wealth or valf w-e-l-f oh i no, i haven't mentioned it yet i don't think um there that's going to be something that affects the the papacy and Italian politics up until the 1600s. So things that are happening right now mm-hmm. are have like a thousand years where they're still playing out. Yeah, yeah. It's a very, uh, very fun time in history. I think it's not ancient history. It's really modern history is getting made right now mm-hmm. well right oh, yeah. now in the 500s right yeah, now the, exactly the ramifications are felt forever the, i mean they've changed the, t- the they've changed history they've changed the timeline we now mm-hmm. feel the things that that happened in the 500s absolutely yep that's which that is interesting um and and there has been some work done in kind of trying to uh, look at this Romanization or Germanization of of each other, let's say. And o- Eugen Weber or Eugene Weber uh, did some work on this and and are you know looking at how the groups kind of started to intermingle and then influence each other and synthesize and in the end turn into a whole new culture. And the beginning of this process, I will talk about in the next episode. I want to on the history of Germany. I want to talk about the Romanized Germans, like what that looked like. And again, it took centuries, but there's a very clear difference between the the beginnings of uh, Roman contact with Germans, which I've already covered a couple times, and then you know the Germanic invasions, where um, Germans almost look the same as Romans once they actually start to settle down in, in the Roman mm-hmm. Empire. So that, that's, it's really interesting how... And then it becomes something new again. You know, the, the, the two separate cultures create something that did not exist before and a kind of, you know, something that we think of as, you know, dawning in the early Middle Ages and that sort of thing. Um, so we'll, you know, start to get into that next episode. And, and what, if we're wrapping this up, in conclusion... For the Goths and for these Germans, Christianity, I think of it as a killer app. Uh, Niles Ferguson, the Scottish 
uh, historian. He wrote about six cultural ideas that explain why Western civilization took off in the 17th and 18th centuries. But I think that Christianity's sort of the Roman killer app where um, these outside of the empire groups who really wanted in, they Christianity is a way for them to plug in mm-hmm. and they could get into those communication lines and the uh, the learning and the commun- the communication and the trade networks. That was a really easy way for them to get to turn from outsiders into insiders. Right. Yep. Yeah, I and, put it. I put a note there that it's, it was like a USB hub because every it was just universal. Everybody could communicate with that if they yeah. started to learn Latin or or in some cases Greek or whatever, but started to um, you know look at Christianity and then they they would just have more in common with the merchants they're coming in contact with or you know if they're mercenaries, the people that are hiring them and and all kinds of benefits and and things that really made it appealing to to you know everyone in the end. Um, but yeah, really interesting stuff. And as these Germans and Goths were coming into the Western Empire, they really helped to prop up the the cultural and the societal structures and the governmental structures of the Western end of the empire that were crumbling. And they maybe they're part of the reason why the West went into what you might call a dark ages. I think a lot of people would argue with that. I hate that, that term. I hate that term. <laughs> but that learning changed in yes. the West. And it went away from what the Byzantines and the Eastern Greeks and what the later Islamic groups, they carried on that more classical learning or right. where the, the West was going in a different direction. Yeah, it's undeniable that. that right after the invasions, there was clearly a decrease in learning. I mean, the, no one can argue that. To say it was a dark ages, because when people say the dark ages, they think it lasted for centuries or mm-hmm. it's the same as like medieval, which that just all really gets my goat because the, you know, we have things like, Oh, like you said, the, um, from history of alchemy, for instance, that, that podcast wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the Islamic commentators that kept all that Greek knowledge alive, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, yeah, like you, then, then this, the monastic copying of, of the Bibles and, and, um, the, the monasteries and even the later examples in Ireland. Um, but then we have the Franconian Renaissance, the Saxon Renaissance, the 11th, 12th century Renaissance, um, all before the actual renaissance so a lot of those are in the supposed dark ages so but but yeah of course before um it took a while for the first universities to be set up and um it, yeah all that all that war and destruction um that i think yeah the scholars were probably the first to to get it or at least try to leave um kind yeah, of a you, brain brain drain scenario but yeah dark ages is harsh i you know it's yeah, going too far you can't say that yeah. The West, the Latins and the Germans said that, oh, learning sucks, so let's not do that anymore. Economic output really right. bottomed out in the West. And without that economic output, That's that was the thing that kept the Greeks in Byzantium going and that they were able to continue learning in the Islamics. They had economics that could support all this scholarly business where in the West, trade dried up a lot of things dried up they were a lot harder hit with the fall of the roman empire than the east was so there you go that is true yep yeah the east would be stable enough 
to last for another thousand years, which yeah. no matter how you spin it or look at it, that's saying something. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they didn't get crushed by the Huns. They didn't get crushed by the Goths. So clearly, um, yeah, they had their act together somewhat. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I, I am going to do an episode on uh, when I finally get to the early medieval period. I will get an ep- I'll do a whole episode on inventions that happened during the quote unquote dark yeah. ages and um, even, you know, bring up. Well, there was there was advances in philosophy, like at least, you know, in terms of like theology and and all sorts of smart thinkers, not only thinking, but even writing stuff down. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, things like water mills and, and Anglo-Saxon irrigation and 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 all that kind of stuff will have to come back. But um, I think for now we've kind of covered our uh, conversion. One thing I want to mention is that both of us are members of the History Podcasters Network. So we, you know, highly recommend there's some great there's a collages out there that we've all collaborated on and done. The latest one, um, one that's coming out soon, actually, is End of an Era. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're on that one. Yeah, I'm on yes. that one. Yep. Yep. So that, that one's coming up. Um, otherwise, go to, you know, find us. On Facebook, what's your Facebook page? A to Z History? Yes. Yeah. And a, to, a to Z History, a history of Germany for me. And find us on Twitter. You're also A to Z History on Twitter, I believe, right? Yes. And not everything, um, all that, all the links to that can be found at my website, a to Z History page.com. Yeah. Okay. So there's, yep, links to Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. Um, otherwise, yeah, thanks for, thanks for listening. And, Whatever feed you heard, if you heard the history of Germany, definitely give history of papacy a listen. And if you were listening to the history of papacy, yeah, (laughs) stop by. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I've had a ton of fun. I hope you guys enjoyed this too. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,